This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. This is Peter and Tricia welcoming you today to Great News and God's Views, a half-hour weekly broadcast on Free FM 89.0, Independent Community Media. We invite you to listen every Sunday for a presentation of historic Bible-based Christianity, highlighting preaching of the Word, classic songs, hymns and spiritual songs. We can be contacted by email at greatnews376 at gmail.com. That is greatnews376 at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you. Today's worship theme, God wants to liberate us from the destructive power of sin. The theological arguments that Paul writes in Galatians 2.15 are precipitated by a much more practical problem, racial divisions. Paul took Peter to task over the issue of Gentile believers, freedom from obedience to Jewish ceremonial law. He reminds Peter and everyone else present for the dinner meeting that to withdraw from the table of fellowship because of eating with Gentiles was hypocritical, inconsistent and prejudicial. The gospel Jesus proclaimed brought salvation for both Jews and Gentiles by way of the cross and union with God. Peter's actions could be detrimental to the church's future. Paul took a courageous stand socially and an indispensable stand spiritually for the whole future of God's church. The consequences were important to that generation and for each successive generation until Jesus returns. Following the social stand comes a theological base. We read from Galatians 2, beginning at verse 15. We who are Jews by nature are not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. But if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves are found sinners, is therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid. For if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I through the law am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness comes by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. The law had its place, defining sin. The law Peter was following in his withdrawal from the dinner fellowship was the ceremonial law of the Jews, was a cultic statute commanded by God in Old Testament times. These ceremonial laws followed the lines of regulations governing the sanctuary, offerings, circumcision, foods, feasts, 
and festivals. These ceremonial laws were topologies, waiting for fulfilment that would come only in Jesus. Peter misinterpreted these ceremonial laws as God's moral law. The moral law is eternal and absolutely reflected in God's character. Moral laws cannot be changed. People cannot fulfill those demands on a human level. The law functions as a tutorial process to show people their sinfulness, but also their salvation through Jesus, who came to fulfil the law, not to destroy it. Faith has its place, defining salvation. The law points to a need for salvation. Faith places that need squarely on the answer, Jesus, the only hope of redemption. Paul tells us that Jesus brings a new law, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, Romans 8. Thus the ceremonial law is negated, and faith unifies both Jew and Gentile by putting them on the same footing. Paul believed that the Gentiles had a firm grip on faith as a steadfast, trustworthy reliance upon God through Jesus Christ, just as the Jewish brothers did. Salvation is for every Jew and Gentile alike, as they reach out voluntarily to Jesus for forgiveness of sin. Grace has its place, defining righteousness. Grace points to a righteousness that leads to holiness. Richard Taylor skillfully wrote, It is not totally accurate to say that grace is the undeserved favour of God towards sinful man, especially if this be interpreted statically. God's grace is dynamic. It's God's love in action empowering those whom God regards with favour. Even so, it's clear that grace excludes every pretense of merit on the part of the recipient. Any legal conception of religion is excluded. Grace is God's free, unmerited and non-legal way of dealing with sinful man. Paul understood grace and dramatically conveyed that to Peter and the Jewish believers. You are listening to Great News in God's Views on Free FM 89.0 Independent Community Media. Our first music today, To God Be the Glory, a hymn with lyrics by Fanny Crosby and the music by Williard Howard Duane, first published in 1875. Blinded at six weeks of age in 1820, Fanny had another tragic event in her life when she was only one year old. Her father died and her mother and grandmother reared her. Fanny's mother had to take a job to buy food and supply all the financial aid the family needed. This left her grandmother to take care of Fanny during the day. Her grandmother taught Fanny at the age of two to listen to stories that she read to her and memorise them. Fanny soon became very good at learning by memorising everything that she heard. She'd memorised scripture and quoted in Sunday school. By the age of ten, she'd memorised the first four books in both Testaments. We know that she learned everything by having it read by others because this was 15 years before Braille had been invented. Her mother once sympathised with Fanny about her blindness and she told her mother that if she were offered a sight back that day she would not accept it. She felt that if she had a normal sight that she probably would not have written any of her hymns. She also noted that the first face she would see would be Jesus. She attended the New York School for the Blind for 35 years, both as a student and teacher, and began writing hymns at the age of 40. She wrote over 8,000.
What does a cow have in common with a compass needle? The answer is that both of them know the orientation of the Earth's magnetic field. No, this isn't crackpot science. In 2008, the prestigious journal The Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences USA published research documenting how cows grazing in a field have a tendency to align themselves with the Earth's magnetic field. And this phenomenon isn't just limited to cows. Many animals, including deer, birds, turtles, bats and even some bacteria, can sense the Earth's magnetic field for alignment or navigation. The fact that so many living things have this ability is rather ironic, considering that the famous evolutionist J.B.S. Haldane once said that evolution couldn't produce magnets. Just as man-made magnetic compasses are the product of forethought and design, so too the magnetic sensing in animals points to an intelligent designer. To find out more from Creation Ministries International, visit our website, creation.com. You are listening to Great News and God's Views on Free FM 89.0 Independent Community Media. We continue with All Hail the Power of Jesus' Name. Often called the National Anthem of Christendom, was written in 1779 by Edward Perronet while he served as a missionary in India. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Classic case of contrasting characters. The narrative in today's text demonstrates a classic case of contrasts. The three main characters are Simon the Pharisee, a sinful woman, probably a prostitute, and Jesus. As I understand the story, 
Simon has invited Jesus to dine with him and some other guests. While there, an unnamed prostitute enters the house and begins to display deep gratitude to Jesus. She begins by crying tears of joy and wetting the feet of Jesus and then wiping them dry with her hair. She then kisses his feet and pours her expensive perfume on them. She responds this way because Jesus had earlier forgiven her of her sins before the narration of this specific event. The reason for this understanding of the events is due to the fact that some have convincingly pointed out that if the woman was forgiven only after having done these things to Jesus, then it goes contrary to the entire point of the story Jesus told to Simon. The point of Jesus' story was to teach that when a person is forgiven much, they love much in return. When they're forgiven little, they love little in return. The woman was obviously forgiven much to show such love in return. We read from Luke chapter 7, beginning at verse 36. And one of the Pharisees desired that he would eat with him. And he went down into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the meat in the Pharisee's house, bought an alabaster box of ointment, and stood at his feet behind him weeping, and began to wash his feet with tears, and did wipe them with the hairs of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thy house, and they gavest me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with tears, and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, Her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, Thy sins are forgiven. And they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, Who is this that forgiveth sins also? And he said to the woman, Thy faith has saved thee, go in peace. And it came to pass afterwards that he went throughout every city and village, preaching and showing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him. Within this narrative we find three stark contrasts. These take place between Simon and the other two characters, and involve their contrasting views and attitudes towards sinners, sin, forgiveness, and Jesus. The contrast between Simon and Jesus, their response to sinners. Simon, being a good Pharisee, would have kept his distance from sinners such as this woman for fear of becoming unclean and for fear that their sin might rub off on him. The word Pharisee means separated one. He also had an image to uphold and a good name to protect. His disdain and disgust for sinners like her would be apparent by his attitude towards them. His self-righteousness would render Simon unable to forgive. Jesus, however, let sinners like this woman touch him and get near him. He didn't keep his distance. Instead, Jesus often sought them out. And if they came into his presence, he didn't run away. By being close, by listening, by being accessible, Jesus let sinners like this prostitute know that God cared and that they could be forgiven. He showed compassion, and when they responded, Jesus forgave.
the contrast between Simon and the woman, their response to sin and forgiveness. In response to sin, Simon can sure see it in others, but not in his own life. He's an eagle-eyed sin hunter when it comes to spotting sin in the lives of other people like the woman. But his eyes seem to fail him when he looks at his own life of sin. But not only is Simon blind to his own sin, but he also fails to see that Jesus is the source of forgiveness. The result was Simon loved little, both God and others. The woman, however, has seen her own sin most clearly. She's strongly aware of the sin in her own life and therefore not hunting for sin in the lives of others, including Simon. In the end, her awareness of sin leads her to seek God's forgiveness through Jesus. The result was that the woman loved much, both God and others. The contrast between Simon and the woman, their response to Jesus. Finally, both Simon and the woman responded differently to Jesus. Simon furnished no water, no towels, no kiss, and no oil to Jesus as he entered Simon's house. This behaviour displayed the best indifference and at worst disrespect. But the woman's spontaneity offered her tears, her hair, her kisses and her perfume in a touching display of love and gratitude. Interesting, isn't it? For it appears that those who see their own sin can also see Jesus at the source of forgiveness, while those who see only the sin of others and are blind to their own sin are also blind to who Jesus really is and what he can do for them. How many Christians are more like Simon than Jesus when it comes to relating and responding to sinners? How many Christians act more like Simon than the woman when it comes to responding to sin in their lives? And how many Christians, even after coming to Jesus, are still better at seeing the sin in others than in themselves? How does your life contrast with Simon and the woman? We continue great news in God's views with Holy, Holy, Holy. Words by Reginald Heber, music by John Becker's Dykes, written in 1861. It was sung in the 1953 film Titanic. Holy, holy, holy.
This is Peter and Tricia thanking you for joining us today for Great News and God's Views on 3FM 89.0 Independent Community Media. We invite you to listen every Sunday from 9.30 to 10 for a presentation of historic Bible-based Christianity highlighting preaching of the Word, classic songs, hymns and spiritual songs. We use only the King James Bible, the authorised version. 89.0 is live streamed from freefm.org.nz or TuneIn and now on Amazon Echo devices using the FreeFM 89 Alexa skill. We would love to hear your comments on this show. We can contact you by email at greatnews376 at gmail.com. That is greatnews376 at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you. Our closing music today, Softly and Tenderly. a Christian hymn composed and written by Will Thompson in 1880. Allegedly, when evangelist Dwight L. Moody was in hospital barred from seeing visitors, although Thompson had arrived, Moody insisted that Thompson be let in, whereupon Moody told him, Will, I would rather have written softly and tenderly Jesus' calling than anything I have been able to do in my whole life. Softly and Tenderly
For more episodes, use the accessmedia.nz app for iOS and Android devices or subscribe to this podcast via Spotify, iHeartRadio or Apple Podcasts. This free FM podcast was brought to you with support from New Zealand On Air.